0: Hello and welcome to SAE Tomorrow Today. I am your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Dave Fulton, Engineering Director, Electric Machine Innovation, Borg Warner, and Monty Hayes, Global Director, Electronics Hardware Growth Innovation, Borg Warner. On today's episode, we discussed the shift to electrification and how Borg Warner is embracing electrification and efficiently scaling their business as it moves from internal combustion engines to electrification. We hope you enjoy this episode. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Thank you. It's very nice to have you here. Borg Warner is a fascinating company that's going through a big change from internal combustion engines to electrification, so I can't wait to dive into that conversation today. You gentlemen are the perfect individuals to lead this effort. You've been working on electrification for over 30 years now. Reflecting on those 30 years, how has electrification changed? Dave, we'll start with you, and then Monte, i like your thoughts as well.
1: For one, it's increased in scale dramatically. Electrification is not a fledgling area. It's a primary path for the future. That uh, means a lot more people, a lot more collaborators internally and outside the company. It's a lot more complex to manage, but it also means a lot more investment. Uh, That's a good thing as well. So um, I think globalization and and the increased scale are two, two areas that I would say I think uh, better engineering tools. We can do things faster. Uh, We've got parallel computing uh, capability that allows us to do design optimization very quickly. Uh, And that's essential for today's uh, fast cycle times uh, to turn designs around quickly.
0: That's a fascinating line. Primary path for the future. You're 100% right on that. More investment. Boy, oh boy, we read the headlines every day. More and billions and billions of dollars are are being committed to electrification where earlier that wasn't the case. Monty, what are your thoughts reflecting on that 30 years of experience?
2: We still see customers today looking for solutions with a smaller volume and mass, increased efficiency and, and lower cost. Um, and while the fundamental solutions are similar, you know we've continued to evolve the technologies and the materials to address these needs for higher efficiencies and lower costs such as wide band gap materials, non-rare earth metals, um, new battery chemistries, along with the movement to, to higher voltages that we see with 800-volt bus voltages. You know, the other thing, too, I think we see in the industry is as we drive for this carbon neutrality and, and lower cost components, there's been a wider adoption in, the, in of electrification and e-mobility space, including, the, you know, light duty and commercial vehicles. So I, I think that's that's helping to, to drive it, uh, the changes.
0: How are you able to, with non-rare-earth Metals. You read reports that this manufacturer, this OEM, they need the rare earth metals. How is Borg Warner able to do that?
1: You know, we we uh, we can't insulate our, ourselves from changes in uh, in material pricing like rare earth metals, and and we know that historically, back in like a 2010 time frame, rare earth metals spiked in price, uh, has come down uh, since then quite a bit, but. I think it's really important that uh, we maintain an agile stance where we can to provide options that are non-rare-earth based. For instance, uh, making induction rotors or wound rotors for motors, allowing ourselves to change from one technology to another if you have a sustained price increase for a long time. I mean, if it's just a a blip and comes back down, you know, those aren't going to change people's buying behaviors, but uh, something where it becomes a pain point, it's really important to try to... Where possible, provide options in different types of technology, and uh, I think in motors that's a, a good case in point.
0: It's a smart strategy. It, it's, it's you're leaving your options on the table, and you're you're doing one of the most important things today in a changing society. You're giving flexibility. And Monty, as I said earlier, Borg Warner's known for a lot of things. Individuals inside of um, the automotive industry know Borg Warner, like Borg Warner, respect Borg Warner. But for an, an individual that's listening, that is a casual listener, says, well, "This is interesting. How would you describe Borg Warner and the role that it plays in the automotive ecosystem?"
2: Borg Warner today covers a you know, broad gamut of products and portfolio for the automotive. You know, we're still strongly embedded in the uh, combustion vehicle space today. We're working to further continue and evolve you know, more, better efficiency, higher efficiency, lower emissions in the combustion space, but then we're also pivoting and transitioning to electrification. So we're covering you know, not only electronics, but electric machines, integrated drive systems, gearboxes, battery, battery management, uh, battery solutions and technologies. So I think we, we cover the full gamut of uh, products and portfolio needed for the electrified uh, drivetrain.
0: In other words, you're playing a very critical role in the future of electrification.
2: Our goal was to to be a key supplier to the you know the various components or systems that uh, the OEMs need today for not only for light duty but also for commercial vehicle uh, applications.
0: The commercial vehicle applications that market's going to be really interesting as it evolves. We had the 900 million dollar first round from BlackRock, Nextera and Daimler Trucks North America committed to building out the charging infrastructure. That's an industry that I'm really waiting to see grows. And as you said. Borg Warner will play a significant role in that future. Monty, from a strategy perspective, how is Borg Warner positioning the company for this giant shift to electrification?
2: Yeah, I mean there's a couple of things. I think we've had a proven track record of being, you know, bringing successful mobility innovations to the marketplace. And we've been preparing for this transition for some time. So I think this is made up of uh, three major areas. One is, as we pivot to electrification, we're, we're doing that through growth organic growth initiatives to complement our current EV portfolio through mergers and acquisitions. Uh, we had the merger and acquisition of README in 2015 uh, for rotating electric machines. We had the acquisition of Delphi Technologies in 2020. Uh, we recently had the acquisitions, which was completed in February this year, for the ACASOL for battery packs and modules. And then we have the pen- pending uh, acquisition that was just announced recently for Sandtroll for electric machines. So uh, combine, combining these acquisitions with our organic growth, and then we're also continuing to optimize our combustion portfolio because, you know, that's still an important part of, uh, of, of the business that we have today.
0: It all comes down to optimization and, and staying flexible. Dave, from an engineering perspective, how are electric propulsion systems designed and manufactured?
1: It's a pretty complex system, so we start at the top level and, and look at it from a system point of view. What are we trying to do? What are the goals for that propulsion system? And then a system architect will then break those down into requirements for each of the components. So if you think about the power flow in an electric vehicle, it starts at the battery, goes through the inverter, hardware, and it's controlled by the software. Those requirements at those levels and the, for the motor and then the drive line. Each one of those components has a different set of technical experts who then take those requirements and use computer optimization tools to weigh off, weigh uh, trade-offs between, say, performance and efficiency, uh, cost and efficiency. There are things you can do to spend more money to be more efficient. What's the right balance? And then a, a level above that, that system architect is using computer optimization tools to trade off one component against the other. There are things you can do to make an uh, inverter run at a higher frequency, and that allows it to uh, make machines uh, or motors more efficient. However, it can compromise the efficiency of the inverter in the process. So those are trade-offs that we constantly have to look at because in the end, those components have to serve the greater good of the whole propulsion system. So finding those balances inside the components and component to component is, is crucial to our success. But as you're doing that, you have to think about building blocks to be modular, so that you get economies of scale and keep the cost low at the same time as trying to make a really efficient and high-performing system. So in an inverter, for instance, you can have different kinds of inverters uh, in terms of power rating, but they might use all the same power module and use a different number of them, and they're connect- connected uh, differently. but basically you're getting those building block economies of scale through in different kinds of products. And in motors, the same thing, you can use a lot of common parts and get different performances out of motors or motors that are 400 volt or 800 volt um, as we're seeing the transition in the market now today. So we have to keep in, we don't want to design a product in a vacuum. We have to have an eye towards what else those pieces are going to be useful for To make them so they work together across the whole product portfolio and that keeps costs low for our our customers and i think on on the manufacturing side we've got to make sure that our parts that we're designing are uh, producible at high volume around the world uh, using processes that are similar for similar products so that as we learn things about how to improve we can apply those learnings anywhere in the world everywhere in the world and that becomes something, again, that translates to cost and uh, a better um, value prop for our, our customers.
0: You mentioned computer optimization tools. Is that simulation or could you expand more on that? And that seems really interesting.
1: Yeah, simulation is a huge part of what we do. Um, and, and you can do more of that than we've ever been able to do before. And, and you can do it in different areas. We can simulate what's going on thermally, electromagnetically, even in the insulation system, how the insulation system behaves over uh, time with, uh, to make sure it's durable. Um, these are all things that can be done with simulation. It doesn't take away the need to test at the end. We still have to do validation testing and make sure the simulation is right on. But it greatly reduces the amount of, of trial and error and iteration. And so allowing the computer to weigh diff- many thousands of, uh, of designs uh, against each other to find the best, um, outcome is something that's just part of what we do now on a regular basis.
0: Throughout the theme of this conversation, there's been one theme is efficiency. Is simulation a tool that you would put in the efficiency camp where it's allowing Borg Warner to, to efficiently develop products?
1: Yes. Uh, you, you don't want, uh, surprises. Uh, th- th- these, uh, these products are so expensive to, to build and to test. You really don't want any surprises. You, you, tweaking is okay, but, uh, a total surprise is not. And so these simulation tools are going to red flag you if you have an issue that's going to happen. Um, these are where we see these. We've got standard analyses that we run to make sure that we're going through each product, whether it's an inverter, a motor, battery pack, and we're checking it from a vibration robustness point of view or from uh, uh, making sure it doesn't overheat and so forth, making sure it's not too noisy even. Uh, you know, motor, for instance, uh, has an audible noise to it. We got to make sure that that, even though EVs are known for being very quiet, we have to watch that and make sure that this motor, fact in fact, meets all those requirements.
0: Noise is a theme throughout several of the podcasts that we have that comes up. I think it's going to be a larger thing that companies look to minimize noise for their products, whether ground or air. And, and Monty, staying on the efficiency theme, how is Borg Warner optimizing each component of the powertrain to ensure the ultimate efficiencies?
2: It's it's done twofold, right? I think in on, on one hand it's done by the components uh, optimizing our inverters, onboard chargers, DC-DC converters, you know, charters, DC DC converters, uh, you know the, the electric machine and the you know, gearbox separately. But then there's also that optimization of the components together for like an integrated drive module where you have the inverter, electric machine, and uh, the gearbox together. So I mean, as you look at things we're looking at today, we look at optimization for inverters. Uh, inverter performance we're looking to move towards wide band gap devices so we're working towards moving towards silicon carbide devices versus silicon de- silicon devices similarly for onboard board chargers dc dc converters we're moving towards GAN, gallium nitride uh, based devices but, um, you know, we also, we're also looking at improved custom ASICs that will allow up integration and integration of, of functions into the controllers. You know, as we pivot from custom ASICs on combustion engine uh, vehicles to electrification, that's another area of, of improvement. Capacitor technologies, as we've talked about, you know, the optimization of the, of the electric machine performance for, you know, either permanent magnet or non, uh, non-permanent magnet machines. And so I think, you know, couple that with new battery technologies and, and, and new topologies, uh, we're, we're looking at it not only at the com- component level, but also integration of those components together and optimizing that at the systems level. And I think Dave touched on an important point earlier. You know, not only are we doing the simulations and, and design and development of these components at a, at a component level we're also putting these together and optimizing at the system level so whereas you might sub optimize one component performance you might optimize the total system performance for the electrified powertrain
0: could you expand more on the optimizing at the system level please yeah I, I think
2: you know as we as we look at it not only do you need to, to optimize the components as I mentioned you need to look at it the, the via the customer drive profiles right you know there's different applications different drive pros for the light duty vehicle, also for the commercial vehicle applications. You know, they may have different peak currents or different continuous currents that you need to operate or, or design for, different coolant solutions. So all those, you know, optimization of, of, of all those different components such as, you know, flow, pressure drop, uh, losses at the system level, uh, you know, combining that with the gearbox and the, and the overall performance with the electric machine is, is, is um, important as we look at the total solution. So you might have to look at a, a certain operating point where you want to optimize for, right? You know, some say a light-duty vehicle may spend a lot of time at very low currents, you know, 50 to 70, 70 amps. So is you know, where you want to optimize for the for the switching losses and uh, performance there. So, I mean, it's just, you just need to look at each individual application across the customers and, and optimize the total system for that.
0: It's a smart business strategy. and Your, your customers or the OEMs, the, the large car manufacturers around the world. Monty, how much insight and feedback do you gather from your customers as you look to optimize and increase efficiencies in the products that you develop for them?
2: We supply to most of the uh, uh, major OEMs globally today. So one of the key things is uh, we get a lot of feedback. We get to see a lot of specifications. We get to see the various implementations that the customers are doing for their vehicles. So I think we take that all in, you know, all in hand and, and look at where the where the market's going. The, the other idea, uh, other thing I should highlight is not only getting the customer feedback, but you know, we have a we have a talented team of our corporate advanced uh, team to look at. You know, okay, instead of getting a pull from the customer, you know, what we think the technology should be, right? Where we think that the, the next bus voltages are going or where we think the next vehicle architecture is going to go, right? So we keep track of that and, and try to look to develop those technologies up front and push some of those technologies in addition to getting pulled from the customer. That's really smart. And Dave,
0: your customers, have, you know, they go out and press releases or go on business news programming and they're talking about electrification and we are we have the whole raw rare earth minerals debate now and then we have the ref- refining issue raises the question what impact do the commodity markets have on how Borg Warner's approaching electrification
1: it's not uh, going to be possible to completely insulate ourselves from those uh, fluctuations I think the the main thing is to be able to uh, provide options if you have a sustained shift in pricing that's significant and uh, that that can be the, the type of switching technology for instance you might use, um, whether it's silicon carbide or silicon, or it could be the type of uh, rotor technology with rare earth or non-rare earth. There are, there are different directions you can take things. It could be the battery chemistry that might use uh, nickel or no nickel, that kind of thing. So there, there are choices that you can make. The question is, is uh, how much is going to be economical to prepare for uh, on the fly type changes. I mean, there are certain things that will just find their way into customer requests. If customers find there's too much pain in for instance, having rare earth magnets, they won't send you a general request for a, a motor quote without specifying the, the chemistry or the, the type of motor. They're going to be very specific about what type of motor they want. And uh, that's not even unusual even today. So I think those are things we just have to be smart about. Um, you, you can't prepare for everything. And some things are a pass through. You you can't avoid certain, uh, you know, ripple effects of commodity changes. But you can say based on history or where we think things will go with demand, what might we do if we see big price uh, uh, changes in a certain area? You can be more intensive uh, in in an area that is lower cost. uh, And that's just an option we have to give ourselves and give our customers.
0: That's, That's a really great answer, Monty. Markets are changing. The automotive industry is becoming the mobility industry. How is Borg Warner staying ahead of the trends in the market?
2: You know, I think we, we need to uh, keep abreast of what the customers are looking for, but you know, and the end consumer what they're looking for in the in the marketplace. But you know, we're developing. We continue to 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 take our key developments, and you know, we're we're doing that through organic growth. We're we're doing key investments in the marketplace. We're making strategic acquisitions. And as I mentioned, we continue to look at our, you know, developing a um, advanced emissions reducing and you know efficient, fuel efficient combustion solutions as we go today. So, part of it is conti- continuing to to work on the products that we have today, and the other part is trying to be, you know, continue to look forward what where the market's going to go, not only from a OEM standpoint, but where we think Warner thinks it should, you know, was going to go.
0: It's the old Gretzky analogy: you're skating to where, where the puck's going to be, not where the puck is.
2: Right. And and you, know, you have to you know, you have to invest in that up front to have some strategic view of, of where things should be and you know how you can get there with in new materials development and key te- technology development uh, as we move forward.
0: And in Borg Warner's investing, Dave. On March twenty third, twenty twenty one, Borg Warner introduced Project Charging Ford to accelerate the company's electrification strategy. Big announcement, big investment. What can you share about the strategy?
1: Yeah, I think uh, Monty touched on this before that it, it has basically three components to it. Uh, the one is scaling up profitably what we've already got in terms of portfolio for electrification, and uh, we're doing that. We're adding capacity. We're adding uh, in, in our test areas. We're we're uh, we've, we've, we're constantly hiring great people in that in that space. The other is going to uh, build on that with complementary outside entities through mergers and acquisitions. And uh, that, that helps us, uh, you, some of the ones that we've mentioned before uh, about Santral, for instance, a pending uh, acquisition. And we've continued to keep an eye on startups and others, other places where we might be able to complement what we've already done. And then the last is because combustion powertrains are gonna be a large part of the transportation sector for some time to come. Uh, even though it's a transition down it's still a long transition uh, we want to optimize our combustion product portfolio to make sure that we're supporting our customers through that whole transition from combustion powertrain dominant to electrification dominant
0: Monty, as, as dave described elegantly is that how you're investing in electrification without disrupting your ice business. We continue to have organic growth. Uh,
2: we've had the key investments in, in strategic acquisitions, as I mentioned before, and and we continue to we continue to uh, develop our fuel efficient combustion energy products today. So you know we're not taking away necessarily from our development from the um, from the combustion energy, but we're augmenting it with our uh, with our key um, acquisitions and, and growth.
0: And Monty, putting some numbers be behind this. Borg Warner's currently um, projecting the your electric vehicle revenues three percent of total revenues today, it'll be forty five percent by twenty thirty. That's a gain of forty two percent. How's that goal going to be achieved?
2: We we look at our total portfolio of, of products today. So, you know, we have uh, with the with the recent acquisitions, we have everything across the the spectrum needed for the electrified powertrain. So we have the battery products, we have electronics and electrification with uh, inverters, onboard chargers, DC to DC converters, controllers, heating products, um, in addition to the rotating electric machines in the, the gearboxes, which combine for our IDM systems, uh, integrated drive module systems. So, you know, we, we, have, the, we have the full spectrum of products that will be able to, to meet the customer's needs either. customers that want to buy specific components separately uh, as standalone components or if they would like to have up integrated solutions we have the ability to cover those those different activities so and products i think that'll you know that's going to help propel us as we uh, pivot from uh, the combustion engine to the electrification
0: it's another way of saying that Borg, borg warner's customers today will be your customers tomorrow and they can grow with you as the as the mobility industry transforms from ice to electrification, Borg BorgWarner's there to help them on that transition. Right, exactly. Dave, we've talked about this a lot. The mobility business is shifting to electrification, and that raises the question around sustainability. What are Borg BorgWarner's sustainability goals?
1: Broadly, they fall in two areas. One is in operations, our manufacturing operations and all our tech centers. And basically, our, our commitment there is to be carbon neutral in our operations by 2035. Uh, the, the other is basically in the product in use emissions that um, we're, we're selling and, and basically that relates directly back to the goal of the 45% revenue from EVs by 2030. So that's a significant change in our carbon footprint that we're pr- introducing through, uh, through the products that we sell over the life of the product. And as, as we get more and more uh, renewable energy sources where we sell products, that's going to improve those uh, the the impact of that as well. But even even without uh, changing um, the the combination of renewables versus uh, uh, fossil fuel uh, energy sources, it's still a significant reduction in overall carbon emissions.
0: It's a it's a positive step, and I'm sure that Borg Warner has a lot of data centers. The decarbonization of data centers is becoming a really big trend now. As you work to achieve your twenty thirty five carbon neutral goals, they'll probably be a part of it as well. That's the the technical wonky stuff, but your consumer goes into the showroom or online and, and orders an electric vehicle. And I asked myself, at the end of the life of the EV, what happens? What parts of the EV can be recycled? You've got a great engineering background. Dave, I'd love to know your thoughts on the end of life for an EV.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to answer for the whole vehicle. Uh, and of course, it changes with where you are in the world, what's happening to vehicles at end of life. But I think our, our focus is to make sure that things are recyclable in an economical way. And I think that in the future, uh, our, our laws and uh, around the world as well as our customers are gonna be more focused on a circular economy. Looking at not just the initial cost of manufacture, but the total cost, product life cycle cost of, of the manufacturing cost plus the cost it takes to recover all those materials and reuse them and, and one of the areas, I could use the motor as an example. I mean, most of the things in the motor today are going to be recyclable. The aluminum housing, steel laminations, the copper winding, all those things uh, have a good history of being able to re- be recycled and are in fact being recycled on large scale. Uh, the thing that's a notable exception is is rare earth magnets. And rare earth magnets today, there's not an economical way to take them back to their elemental forms where you can reblend them However, people are making magnets uh, to, to the demand of, of uh, you know, new custom magnets and that sort of thing. And to do that is, is just not economical, so it's not happening. But you know, there are some ways around that. One would be to not use rare earth magnets, as we talked about, and that is uh, a slight efficiency penalty because rare earth magnet motors today are the most efficient motors overall. So there's, if you wanna get around that, Another option is to have what some people call magnet-to-magnet recycling or grade-to-grade recycling, which basically says don't try to change the fundamental composition of the magnet, basically kind of remelt it down and reuse it in the same grade. And that there's been studies done on that to show that that's much lower cost and much lower carbon uh, emissions to go through that process uh, than it is to, to melt it all down divide it up and, and reuse. And it's really nothing new. I mean, when you think about it, we see this today with different categories of plastics recycling. There's certain kinds of plastics we melt down and keep it as that type of plastic. It's not any different than that. The The challenge is to do that requires some standardization of materials. We can say, okay, I'll use from this, this uh, set of however many, three or five different uh, magnets, and we'll we will only use from those to make the recycling more economical. So I think this takes some agreement between the manufacturers and customers and, and ultimately some restriction of choice. And that's, that happens on I think any kind of standardization for the purpose of recycling is always kind of limits our choices. So we just have to be uh, figuring out that, what's the right balance going, going for that serves everybody the best.
0: That's a great approach, and we have the EU battery passport work that's being done in Europe. That'll be interesting to see what comes of that, and then if that comes over to America, because if you look at Europe, EV vehicles, charging, really incubated there, and then you want to say in, we ex, they export them to America, and so it'll be interesting to see if they take the, the leadership on the standards around the battery materials. So that's going to be interesting in anyway. so thank you for, for highlighting that. Monty, is everything shifting to electrification what impacts do you see happening as it relates to the, t- to the technology? Do you see, for instance, a vehicle running in a dense urban environment having a smaller battery pack if it's just going from the home to the grocery store versus long range? How do you see electrification evolving as it relates to technology?
2: Historically, you know, we, from an from a evolution standpoint, we've, we've already moved from 12-volt systems and our 48-volt systems, mild hybrid systems up to you know the uh, 400 volt bus voltages for for BEVs or battery electric vehicles and then I say as as we move forward we 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 see the continued movement towards higher battery voltage for 800 volt systems for either performance vehicles or larger displacement vehicles or and for faster charging times right and then as we see continued evolution we'll see the movement from silicon-based systems although today we still are improving silicon-based semiconductor systems, but you know we're moving to wide band gap with better efficiencies. To, but to your point specifically, I think you'll you'll see tailoring of certain vehicle platforms with the OEMs. You know they'll have a, a wide range of platforms, basically geared towards individual customer needs. You know you might have small vehicle needs, uh, performance vehicles, trucks, commercial, you know light duty commercial vehicles. Uh, and each will have a different solution, although. You know, we've looked at, you know, some, you see some manufacturers out there, uh, OEMs are, are looking at a, you know, a sled type of system where they can just put different um, different uh, top hats or different types of product skins on top of the, of the base powertrain. You also see some custom, customers are actually customizing, highly customizing for the vehicle application. So I, I think you're going to see that, um, you know, stratification in, in the marketplace uh, to some degree across the customers and the different OEMs, depending on what their clientele is.
0: You mentioned faster charging times. Does that start to become a growth area or if you want to call it a race or who can charge the vehicle faster and then perhaps that can accelerate consumer demand?
2: I think it's an important area, right, uh, as, as we look at the, the changes from combustion engine uh, vehicle platforms to electrified platforms that be able to have fast charging times or ways to, to quickly recharge the vehicle uh, so people can have, uh, you know, use them for longer ranges depending on the a- application where they're at. I think part of that will be also, you know, there will be there will be a limit to, uh, you know, infrastructure limit to, to in some areas of the world, you know, how they can adopt that uh you know, the higher voltages or the implementation of that, um, you know, faster charging time. So there's going to be a limit. It's not like you just, keep you know, continue to, to increase forever, right, on, on the capability <laughs> to make it quicker um, as we move forward.
0: Yeah, we don't want a uh, Wile e. Coyote kablooey scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. somebody <laughs> tries to. we want to avoid that at all costs. Well, it might be funny in a Warner Brothers cartoon. It won't be funny in, in real life. We're, we're, we're seeing all the trends that are happening, as you, as you pointed out for, with electrification, Monty. And then the other side that we haven't touched on the product design cycle it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter over there updates are seemingly a common feature on vehicles now if you don't have it it's like whoa you used to have a dvd pl- sorry a cd player in your car and now you need to have OTA it seems like that's the new de facto feature there what impact do those shorter and shorter design cycles have on your business
2: we continue to see the OEMs uh, today shorten these design times. And it really means that we need to be agile and nimble, right, in the marketplace to, to be able to address the, the needs in a quick manner. You know, I think this also this also applies to our innovation strategy, right? How, how do we innovate? We need to innovate much quicker. We don't have these long cycles and long design times to, to really to innovation or or implementation of our of those uh, products uh, into the marketplace. And I think Dave's point earlier he highlighted on it was you know simulation, right? I think simulation plays an important part of being able to speed up this design cycle to be able to apply you know learnings quickly and do it with less resources, right? Because we obviously have the constraints. Um, as, as the industry does today with resources obviously we're hiring but you know you want to make more efficient use of your workforce that you have to, to address the needs of the quicker turns
0: Dude, that's a great segue workforce development is a big topic now the labor market's a big topic in my opinion business and education are like peanut butter and jelly that they complement each other because you should always always be learning and since 1987 Borg Warner's invested 1 million dollars in the SAE foundation in support of the Collegiate Design Series and a World in Motion Education programs. Big commitment. Why did Borg Warner do this? You know, in
1: general, Borg Warner has a great track record of, of supporting communities where we live and work. And I think their charter is to go and support in areas of education, uh, economics, uh, the environment, and, and equity uh, kind of the four E's, if you will. And really, if you think about it, STEM education, really is a great fit for all of those. It affect it's it's directly or indirectly supporting all of those things. Um, they, it helps, it gets, provides a way up for so many people to have great jobs, as well as provides a society with the next generation of problem solvers and game-changing ideas, and I think uh, we recognize that, that that SAE is addressing that at at a, the full age range of education of students, basically, so starting at the pre-K and going up through college, and so I think it's it's a great fit, uh, and that's one of the reasons why we've uh, been a, a a faithful supporter. I think we we've seen the uh, how effective it is.
0: And hey, Monty, I want to put some numbers to this. The investment that Borg Warner's made has had a positive impact on 64,000 students. Across ten countries over the past ten years alone. That's a lot of impact, a lot of good. What has it meant to the students in Borg Warner's global communities and to the company's business initiatives that the company Borg Warner's continuing to do right by society and invest in education?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's it's really important and you know, this allows us to promote the STEM initiatives. It also promotes, you know, our beliefs in access, um, diversity, and inclusion across the globe as we you know, as we get these students from the various backgrounds and, and locales to, to uh, be exposed to these um, technologies. Also, by engaging these students across all levels, it helps us to, you know, promote our goals of a cleaner, safer, healthier future. But more importantly, also, also importantly, is this also generates excitement uh, for future technologies with the students, and helps us to develop a pipeline of, of future engineers and technologists, uh, not only for BorgWarner, but uh, you
0: know globally. And Dave, you've rolled your sleeves up. You've, you've gone into the classroom. you volunteered over the years as part of SAE STEM initiatives. Can you share some of those experiences and why you wanted to participate?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think in general, people who have an excitement about teaching children are usually people who... Saw the value of it in their own lives when they were a kid. They had the benefit of somebody who really inspired them, and that was the case for me. My parents, my teachers, particularly in STEM subjects, really inspired me to want to learn more on my own. And really, if you can do that, that's the gift that keeps on giving, right? So inspiring kids to taking advantage of that natural curiosity, which really starts right at the pre-K time frame, is uh, is such a great springboard. That you know, you think something small like that. How much benefit can I can I create? But really, again, if you if you can start something that is somewhat self-sustaining, that's a that's a big seed that you planted right there. So I think I want to provide that for for other kids, uh, you know, other other students. Uh, the way I experienced that, and SAE is a great program that you can plug into to do that. Um, and I did that with a, a kindergarten uh, with kindergarten classes through. Um, the World in Motion project, and I think it was just—it was just great to see how hands-on. It's a great way to learn. It's—it's it's very fun and engaging. It asks kids what you think is going to happen, and then you ask, "Did it happen that way?" and and to see kids wrestle with things that they saw that didn't agree with what their preconceived notions were—that's just part of that whole process of thinking critically. And I think in general, you know, any STEM topic you can start with it at such an early age, just showing kids what's possible. And then you can build on that layer uh, later as they start to get math tools and things like that and explain why it happened that way. But a lot of times we put off showing people anything unless we can explain it from A to Z. And I don't really think, I, I, I like the way SAE does things. They start at an early age and just kind of show kids what's possible and get them thinking and I think they follow on later on when they've got more tools under their belt and they start to say, okay, let's look at this um, a little more quantitatively. Let's graph some things. Let's look and see what we can learn from measurements. And and you go on and you build on that to the point where at, at a college level, you're designing things. You're using those tools and actually designing and building things. And that's a, a particularly uh, exciting way to, you know, see that progression all the way through. So I, 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 I'm really, uh, I'm a big fan of what SAE is doing. Uh, I think it's the you're you're planting the right seeds uh, at, at good ages, and I would definitely do that again.
0: You're you're providing the child the inspiration to set them on on the curiosity rabbit hole, and the next thing you know, you might have said something, and the child goes on to invent something that has a positive impact on society because you took the time to roll your sleeves up. You just never know. It's the it's the time. To be there, Cheryl Sandberg says this: to be there in the moment, and you're being there in the moment, helping these children learn. And that's thank you for that because that's really positive. Monty, this has been a wonderful conversation. We've gone all over the map, and I'm following the curiosity here. What is the future of Borg Warner?
2: You yeah, yeah, I think you Borg Warner has a really bright future. You know, as we drive for a cleaner, safer, and healthier future. You know, we're excited to drive new technologies under our charging forward. And uh, with the goal of you know having the the carbon neutrality by 2035, so I think I think it's a really bright future.
0: A bright future is an awesome future. And Dave Monty, as we look to wrap up this super insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? And Dave, we'll start with you, please.
1: Well, I guess uh, first I'd say uh, we're we're continuing to hire great people in electrification. So if you have interest, uh, check out our website. Borg Warner is a, a really good company to work for. And then I guess secondly. If you have opportunity to volunteer for uh, STEM education uh, through SAE or others, uh, I'd highly recommend it. It's a great way to uh, invest in, in kids and in, in our future
0: in general. Investing in the future is a positive thing. Monty, please.
1: Yeah, I
2: agree. I mean, Borg Warner is a company that's driving to help the future, drive the future for technology and also for reduced footprint from um, emissions and carbon neutrality. But as Dave mentioned, I think we would I would like to highlight the fact that we get a lot of benefit from engineers helping out uh, with students through SAE. We appreciate the support of SAE in the schools, and the uh, the marketplace, and helping to drive further education for engineers and in, in automotive electronics as we move forward.
0: Well, th- thank you to SAE for producing this podcast, and Dave Monty, thank you so much for coming on SAE tomorrow today because today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today, and the future is Borg Warner. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to S.A.E. Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us for next week's episode when we speak with leaders from Continental and Volterio about their recent partnership in the development of a fully automated EV charging robot.